All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and we're so glad that you're uh, joining us this morning, especially if you're visiting for the first time or if you're uh, new to the faith or you're seeking and trying to figure out who Jesus is. Like, we just love that you're here. Hope you feel very welcomed uh, by us. Uh, Well, let me begin by asking you a question. Um, Can you think of a time when you received really, really good news? Can you think of a time like that? Maybe, uh, you know, pass that class that you weren't so sure that you were going to pass, feel that before, uh, you know, you get, get the job, get the promotion, find out that the girl that you're interested in is perhaps a little interested in you as well. I mean, whatever it might be, you know, you get some good news. How did it make you feel? How did it make you feel? Yeah, good, right? Yeah, (laughs) not bad. Um, I can think of a time when Krista and I received really good news. It happened in the middle of the night. It was like 3 a.m. or 3.30 in the morning. And uh, the reason why it happened in the middle of the night was because uh, I was actually leaving uh, to go to um, uh, Morelia, Mexico to support a church down there. And we were, uh, the flight, we had to be at the airport at like 4.30 in the morning for, to catch like a 6.30 international flight. So uh, and for some reason, uh, probably because I'm an idiot, I decided it was a good idea to pack for that week long trip, not the night before, but actually the morning of, which the morning of was that 3 a.m. Like I had to be at the airport at 4.30. So I don't know why, but I, I, we woke up at like, like 3 or 3.30 to, to pack, and then Krista was going to be my ride, so she was taking me to the airport because she's awesome. And uh, anyway, see, while I'm packing, and we're like in this like days because, you know, 3 a.m., um, <laughs> next thing I know, Krista, she walks out of, the, of our bathroom uh, holding a a pregnancy test. <laughs> and she says, hey, we're pregnant <laughs> for our first kid, which is amazing. And like, so we're pumped up and we're like jumping up and down. And then we're also really groggy because, you know, again, 3 a.m. And uh, we're like, just kind of like, where we're at, like, you know, this is amazing. Like, this is incredible. We were so excited. And then it dawns on us, like, oh, you're about to drive me to the airport where I'm going to be gone for an entire week. And I didn't have a phone that even worked in Morelia, Mexico. So I w- we were going to be able to talk to each other the entire week. In fact, if from the outside looking in, it looked like I found out that I was going to be a dad. I packed my bags and fled the country. <laughs> Not the best first step into fatherhood for me. But, um, Anyways, no, I will always remember uh, that good news received 3.30 in the morning. It's pretty awesome. And when you receive good news, it makes you feel good. It, 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 you, you respond with joy. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, like, the better the news, the more significant the good news, even the more joy that you feel. I mean, that's a, that's a true life principle. Well, uh, this morning... We're going to continue our study in the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking at Acts uh, 8, 1 through 25, maybe. I don't think I'll get all the way through 25, but we'll see what happens. Um, and this, in this account, though, the whole thing kind of tells the story of a, a city receiving good news, and then the, what results is great joy in that entire city. And I love this passage because it, it captures the truth that Christians— Because we get to be bearers of good news that can bring great joy. And I think that's a helpful reminder for us. Because unfortunately, that's not what we Christians are known for, is it? 
And especially in America, most Christians, they don't, they, most people don't associate Christianity or Christians with, oh, those are the people who bring good news that brings great joy. No, usually people associate in, with Christians in America as the people who bring uninvited advice on how to live and judgment if you're not living according to that. If you're not a Christian in this room, can, you can subtly nod along. And is that, am I right on that? Like, that's kind of what we're, we're, Christians are often known for, which is, which is such a shame. And so, like, in this passage, just to be a reminder that, no, that's, that's not what God intended. That's not what God called Christians to do, his, Jesus' followers to do. That he has, he has uh, put with, entrusted us with the best news ever incredible good news, and said, hey, you guys get to be the bearers of good news that can bring great joy. Not, uh, not advice, but news, and not about how people should live, but, but what God has done in living and dying for them. And like, when we bring that news, it often results in great joy. Um, so that's what the first century church was known for. And, and it did result in great joy. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Acts chapter 8. So if you want to go ahead and look that up, Acts 8, we'll start at verse 1. And uh, we're going to kind of ask three questions of this text or draw out these kind of three answers from this text about, like, what is the good news? Who can bring it? And how to bring this good news that causes great joy. So if you look up Acts 8, uh, while, you, while you go there, also have the words up here on the screen. But as you go there, let me, let me just remind you um, What's happened up to this event? Because this, what I'm about, or what we're about to read, because this is a, like a crucial turning point in the book of Acts. Up to this point, a couple of key things that have taken place. One is um, Jesus has lived, died, and risen again. That's, that's an important piece. And uh, after rising again, he has appeared to his followers multiple times. And the last time being, and what we read in Acts chapter 1, is that he, he calls them together and he tells them in Acts 1 verse 8, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, the, the third person in the, in, the, in the Godhead, God the Spirit, and he's going to come on you with power. And he's going to enable you to be my witnesses, starting where you are in Jerusalem and then going out to the region, Judea, and then to cross-cultural uh, Samaria, and then on from there to the ends of the earth. And then in chapter 2 of Acts, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes on Christ's followers, and they respond as a result with courageous, like joyful courage. They go on the streets, they start teaching about Jesus. Thousands and thousands of people trust in Christ. And while that's happening and the church is growing, more people believing in Christ, the religious leaders of that day, they're not liking it, and they start, uh, they start threatening uh, the Christians, and they start, uh, they, they arrest some of the leaders, uh, they flog them, they tell them, hey, you, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus at all any longer, but the church just continues to talk about Jesus. And uh, as they do, more and more people get upset, and eventually, uh, what we saw last week when Justin was preaching is that the Sanhedrin calls, the religious leaders call this one guy, Stephen, in front of them who'd been talking about Jesus, and, and they tell, and, and they get upset with him because he won't stop talking about Jesus, and then they stone him to death, and they kill him, first martyr in the church. And uh, Acts chapter 8 picks up right after that. Here's what it says. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, that day being the day that Stephen was killed. That, Jeev that Stephen's martyrdom, it, 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 it's like 
it unleashed, like the dam was breaking, and all those who had, you know, were, were upset with the Christians said, okay, now it's, it's, it's hunting season. We can go after them, and just persecution breaks out. And so we read, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, which is you know, very important to note, because remember Acts 1.8? You're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Well, here you see this is the event that actually leads them to go take the gospel outside of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. Okay, verse 2. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Now, you know, just think, we're not talking about church buildings there, okay, right? There, there were no church buildings at this point in time that didn't exist. And so we're talking about people, which you know, makes sense the rest of the verses, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Verse 4, you think, okay, now, well, how did they respond to that? Well, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That's a wild statement, isn't it? You think, okay, well, I wonder what that looked like. I mean, they're scattered. They're, they're going to places. They're having to leave their homes. They're going to go preach the word. Wherever they went, well, like, so I wonder, I wonder what that looked like. Well, it's as if Luke was saying, okay, for, <laughs> let me tell you what that looked like. You could actually insert here before verse 5 uh, the statement, uh, for example, because in verse 5 he, he zeroes in on one guy who was scattered and began to preach the word wherever he went. So verse 5 says this, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then what was the result of that? And I love verse 8. It's one of my favorite verses in all Scripture. It just says this. So there was great joy in that city. So there was great joy in that city. Now, I want to camp out in these eight verses, and maybe, 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 but probably not, we'll get to nine, verse uh, nine through 25, which is really just another example, a story of, of how someone who came to Christ during Philip's ministry and how he responded. But so we might get there, but for now, let's just camp out in verses one through eight, because this is so good. I mean, there's so much here. First thing I want to point out is this uh, Isn't it crazy that when the persecution breaks out, the, the church is scattered, the people are, are scattered, and they go and they preach the word. Like, I mean, you got to think, guys, put yourself in their shoes as the best you can, what first century Jews, Jews were like, how they lived. Like they, were, like, they weren't transient like our culture is. Like, for us to move isn't that big deal. we got a lot of college students that are moving next week or in the next couple of weeks to go back home or start a new internship or something like that. Like that, you're cool with that. This day and age, to move, like you're leaving your house, your home, your money is, is, is not, it's not like you have a bank that you can access money from all over the place. Like there was nothing like that. Like they're losing their inheritance and they're like having to go, losing everything. Like this is a huge thing. And they were having to go because why? Because they were talking about Jesus. That's the reason that they were run out of Jerusalem. And so what would you expect them not to do from that point on? Like, learn your lesson. You lost everything because you talked about Jesus, so therefore you won't. But <laughs> you expect them not to talk about Jesus, but they 
are scattered, and they go. Whoa, that was awesome. Uh, they get carried away. They go preaching the word. They keep talking about Christ. Now, this, this, uh, this statement, you know, preaching, uh, preach the word wherever they went, that, that word preach, when we hear that word, we, we think about this, right? We think about someone like public speaking, but that's actually not what uh, this word meant. So it doesn't, they weren't saying, okay, well, they go, wherever they went, they stood up in front of people on, on a podium and, and, and spoke publicly. Now, the, the word preached here is actually uh, the Greek word, uh, you, uh, let's see, how do I say it? Well, euangelizo, uh, there it is. The Greek word euangelizo. And that word literally means to bring good news. It literally means to bring the gospel. Good news, gospel, same thing. And so he says they went and they, they preached the good news, or they brought the good news. Um, this word, euangelizo, was, is not a word that's just reserved for Christians or, or a specific kind of gospel. The gospel, good news, and, and being a bringer of good news was a common uh, Roman phrase or Greek phrase that would speak of anyone whose job, was, whose job it was or who had the, the, the responsibility of announcing or, or heralding good news that would bring joy or good news that would positively impact the hearers of that news. And so oftentimes you'd have someone who euangelizo the news of a Roman victory or of, a, of the coronation of a new Caesar, that they were bringing good news. And so that begs the question here, well, what kind of news was the scattered church bringing to wherever they went? Um, this, past, uh, this past December, our, our Chris and I's daughter, Della, who's five, she was in a, their Christmas play, her pre-K's uh, Christmas play, and she got to be the angel from Luke 2 that says, you know, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so we and our, our uh, family helped her memorize that line, and we would say it all the time. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's how we said it, all the people. And so uh, she got a kick out of that and helped her memorize her line. It's interesting because Luke, uh, the author of the Gospel of Luke, uh, is a guy named Luke, well-named. Uh, he also was the author of the book of Acts. And I think that when, when the, the angel shows up to announce Jesus' birth, I bring good news of great joy will be for all the people. And, uh, Luke ties what happens here in Acts 8 to that. It says when the, when the church was persecuted and scattered all over the place, they went out preaching. They went out bringing good news. And when he goes to verse 8 here and says, here's what the result was. There was great joy in that city. I think that's so awesome. Um, now, Della didn't fully get all that, and so she was just saying that line all the time, and now that line is stuck in our family, and now she uses that line uh, to just announce random things. Like for the other day, other day we were at the grocery store, and uh, she tells, or she was at the grocery store with Krista, I should say, and uh, <laughs> she tells Krista, hey, my stomach's hurting, I'm not feeling so good. And then a, a little bit later, she just says, uh, loud, uh, for everyone to hear, um, Mom, I've got good news of great joy. You <laughs> say, well, what is it? My stomach is not hurting anymore. 
that was probably not the, the news that the first church was bringing to all of these cities. But so what was the news that brings great joy to, to, the, to this city? That's the question I want to just camp on for just a second longer. Um, the good news was this. In verse 5, when, when Luke zeroes in on Philip, he gives us a hint. What was the content of this news that the church was bringing? Verse 5 says this. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. He proclaimed the Messiah there. Or he proclaimed Jesus there. That's who the Messiah is. So, so the content of his good news was, was, the, was, was that Jesus has come. And that he has lived and died and risen again to enable people to be restored to God. Not based on what you do for God, but on what God has done for you in Christ. This is the good news. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the good news. Um, and guys, if, if, you're, if you're not a uh, Christian, you're here exploring, let me just say, like, just real clearly, like, that's the essence of Christianity. Like, that's the very essence of Christianity. The Christianity, when you boil it down, is news. It's good news about Jesus that if you believe will bring great joy to you. I love how Tim Keller, uh, uh, pastor in New York, author of a book called The King's Cross, I love how he put it. He says this, uh, the essence of other religions is advice, but Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say, this is what you have to do in order to connect to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel, the good news, says, this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. See, Christianity is completely different than good advice. It is joyful news. And the church being scattered out of Jerusalem, they didn't quit talking about Jesus because they knew, they knew, they knew, they knew that they had good news that was for all the people. And so they went out sharing that good news, the good news of Jesus. That was what the good news was. Now, another thing I want to point out from this passage is this. Who can bring this good news? And I think this is an important question to ask because Luke, in, this, in, the, in Acts 8, he draws special attention to who it was that left Jerusalem and, and brought the good news to Judea and to Samaria, right? It's like if you go back to verse 1, it says this, uh, that all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. All except the apostles, the apostles being like the, the, the disciples, the original disciples of Jesus, the 11 faithful disciples of Jesus, uh, plus one. And, and then the rest were like, okay, but they stayed. And it was everyone else who was scattered. Now, why include that detail? Well, I think it's because Luke is making the point that the, that the first time the gospel left Jerusalem, the apostles were not its carriers. The first time the gospel expanded beyond Jerusalem, it was carried in the mouths of, for lack of better words, normal Christians. And I think what Luke was trying to say is that uh, the way that the great 
commission is going to be fulfilled. When Jesus says, you will be my disciple, you, you, you go and therefore make disciples of all nations, it says, look, look, look how that's happening. It's not through the disciples, original disciples of Jesus doing all that. It's by them making disciples that make disciples that continue to take this on further and further. That when Jesus said to his original followers, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, he wasn't just saying that to his original faithful 11. He was saying, no, no, this is my followers will be, all of them. And so the faithful 11, they weren't the first ones to carry the good news out of Jerusalem. It was their disciples. It was the the people who came to faith through them, they were the ones that were the witnesses that went and took it to Judea and to Samaria. And I think that's insightful, isn't it? Um, Philip was one of those guys. Philip was, was uh, you know, again, lack, there's not good terms here. Like an ordinary Christian, he was not the upper leadership of, of you know, as, he wasn't an apostle. Uh, the only other time up to this point that Philip had been mentioned in Scripture was in Acts 6 when literally the church chose him because he was a godly man to wait on tables. Literally, to wait on tables. Like that's the only context that we've, content, uh, time that he'd ever been mentioned. And so he was not like this like amazing, like whatever, but he just loved Jesus. And when he was run out of his, ha- run for, out of his house, run away from his city where he belonged and where he lived, he went out preaching the gospel, and he went to Samaria. And it's that one other thing that that shows when it comes to the question, like, who can bring good news? Uh, it, it's even if you are having a really hard time. Like, like, Philip just lost everything, and yet he goes and brings good news. Even if you're having a really hard time, even if your world is coming, crashing down on you, you can still be one who brings good news so, causes great joy. And, and perhaps even in those times, you, it, it, you might have even more motivation to do so. Because sometimes in those, in those really hard moments in life, it's when you recognize, man, you know what? All, when all the other circumstances and all the other relationships in my life fail me, God never will. And the, and the sweetness of the gospel comes home to you in another way where you say, okay, man, okay, my security ultimately is found in Christ. And the love of God that I know that I need, is, it's promised me in Jesus. And, and, and it just the good news becomes even better news to you. And it causes you to want to share it. Like that's what's happened with Philip. Like who, can, who can bring good news, friends? Uh, anyone. You don't have to be a leader. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be ordained. First century church did not have seminary, did not have ordination. I mean, it's like none of that kind of stuff. You just need to love Jesus. You have heard the good news, believed the good news, it causes you joy, you say, go share the good news. You can do it. Anyone can do it. Even if you're having a hard time. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that begs the question, okay, well, how do you do it then? How do you bring the good news in a way that's going to cause great joy? And uh, to answer that question, again, go back to this passage. It says, let's look at what Philip did in verse 6. So there we're told that when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs uh, he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. And so uh, that means that they heard what he said because he was declaring the gospel. 
And they saw the signs he performed because he was displaying or demonstrating the, the good news of the gospel by what he did. And friends, I think that's the reason, as this verse ends, that the people paid close attention. They, they leaned into him because he was doing both of those things. He was demonstrating and declaring the gospel. I don't know how, how many times you've had the similar experience that I've had, but when you're trying to, like, you know, tell someone about Jesus and, uh, it, you know, you're announcing the good news and, and the result actually isn't great joy, uh, maybe great awkwardness. Yeah, you've been there before? Like, that perhaps is what, what takes place. And you think, okay, well, I don't, was that good for you? Because I don't think that was good for me. I don't know how that, how that went. And, and it's, like, just weird. Um, you think, well, how do I bring good news in a way that causes great joy? Well, again, I think Philip shows us. I think Luke, the author of Acts, is showing us. I think God, through the inspiration of this, is showing us. When, when, when someone can hear the good news but also see it displayed, they can experience it. They can feel God's love that's contained in the gospel. There, there, there's some element of it where it's not just hear, hear this, but like, let me show you how it's changed my life, and I want to extend this to you in a tangible way. There comes a place where that becomes good news for them. Even, hear this. Even if they don't believe it. I mean, certainly if they believe it. But even if they don't believe it, but they just know that you believe that God loves them so much that he sent Jesus to die for them, they think, well, that's, I'm glad that you believe that for me. <laughs> that doesn't make me upset that you think that God loves me that much. And I'm glad that you're committed to loving me like that. So I'm glad to have you as a friend. That, there's some joy in that, even if they don't believe it. And I don't think everyone in Samaria believed the gospel here, and yet there was great joy in that city because Philip came preaching good news and demonstrating it. I have a lot of room to grow when it comes to thinking intentionally and making time in my schedule to purposefully, tangibly love those that don't know Jesus. I don't know about you, but here this says, that's important. That's how you bring good news. It brings great joy. In fact, there's, there's three ways that Philip demonstrates the gospel that's, that's spoken to in this passage. Two are very explicit. They're found in verse 7. Let me just read that for you. It says, For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. All right? So that's weird, right? I mean, it's like, okay, uh, casting out demons or whatever that is and, and healing people. And yeah, if I could do those things, and I'm sure that people would listen to what I had to say as well, but I don't know about that stuff. Like, right, but um, hang on for a second on the miracle part, because I'll get to that. I'll address that for a, in, in a second. But for now, I just want to point out, when it comes to demonstrating the gospel, what Philip does here is that he's declaring, hey, Jesus is the Messiah who's come to set the captives free. And then he, he's casting out demons. So he's, Jesus has come to free us from the evil one. He's, he's come to free us from being enslaved to sin. And he casts out demons. Like this is a, this is a sign that the word here is, you know, with signs. Signs are, are not just naked uh, uh, power plays to say, look what I can do. It's like, no, the, the, the purpose of what I'm doing points to something. And Peter's saying, like, this is what it points to. This is what Jesus has come to do. And he, he meets their spiritual needs, pointing to how Jesus 
meets their spiritual needs. And then he also meets their physical needs. So he's healing the lame and the paralyzed. He's saying, like, look, Jesus has come to uh, make a way for everyone whose faith you know, turns to Jesus to be restored to shalom, to, to, that, that there's a coming kingdom, that's, that everything's going to be put right in Christ because of what he has done. And let me give you a picture of that. The, 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 the broken, the lame, the paralyzed will be healed. It's a sign that points. It's a demonstration. It's a display that points to what he was declaring in the gospel. Now, again, it would be really nice to be able to do those kind of things, and that if you are able to do those kind of things, come and talk to me. That's pretty cool. But uh, I've never been able to do. <laughs> I've never, uh, I, you know, I've never healed anyone paralyzed. Um, I don't know. You, we can have a side conversation if you want to on like, does that stuff still happen in the world, and can people do that? And I think, yeah. I mean, just quickly, I'd say, yeah. I think God still moves in those kind of ways, and but not through me, or hasn't so far. And I don't know, probably not from you, because I haven't heard any crazy stories recently about that kind of stuff. So you think, well, but I wish I had that power. Then people would listen to me. But guys, you got to remember, this right here is the very first time that the gospel has moved out of Jerusalem. And so God, in his grace, was accompanying Peter, I mean, Philip, with this extra just display of power and these signs to say, hey, what Philip is saying is true. And to show them, like, this really has happened. Like, this is a special moment where God is coming and acting in a special way to reveal to a whole new audience, these Samaritans, who Jesus is and what he has done. So that's the reason for the miracles here. And as if you're, again, not a Christian, you think, well, that's why, why I could never believe that the Bible has any kind of historicity to it or reliability to it because there's miracles in it. I, I, get, those, I get those feelings. I just would want to point out real quickly that um, if there is a God, then miracles ca- can happen, right? And I would think you could follow that. Like that, if there is a God, miracles can happen. We certainly believe that there is a God and that Jesus was, is God the Son, and therefore miracles could happen here. So don't, don't get caught up in the miracles. Get caught up in the question of, is Jesus actually God? And that's, a, that's a great question. We'd love to help you with that. But here, God moves in this miraculous ways to affirm that Jesus is God for, to this Samaritan you know, city. And many believe there's great joy in that city. Now, here's the principle I want to pull out. Again, going back to how do you bring the gospel in a way that's good news. It's this, it's this link between demonstrating it and declaring it. And we might not be able to demonstrate it in these miraculous ways, but we can absolutely still demonstrate the gospel, can we not? To demonstrate God's love, by how we love people, a service, how we serve people. I mean, I just think about like this article that, that came out this last week from KUT. I don't know if anyone else saw it, but um, it, it was titled, uh, Keep Austin Lonely. And in the article, it said, and this is just last week, it just says, uh, found uh, they, in this new survey, nationwide survey of all these uh, major cities throughout the nation, it found that Austin has a higher than average concentration of people, particularly younger people, who feel loneliness or disconnection from those around them. 
that specifically 60% of Austinites feel lonely compared to the national average of 54%. Now, 54% isn't awesome, but 60%, like we are one of the few cities in the nation that's that high on, on, the, on that scale, loneliness. Well, guys, can you think of a way for the church for you, scattered church throughout the week with the people that you're around, who you work with, and who you live around, or who you're in class with, to, 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 pers- to demonstrate the gospel in a tangible way that would meet a need that would feel like good news? Yeah. I mean, did Jesus not pursue us when we had wandered away from him and isolated in our sin? Dying for us and making the way for us to be invited into his family, to be adopted into his family? Now, what if we pursued people with God. And we uh, built relationships and invited them into our homes. And through hospitality, we were displaying the gospel. I mean, I think what Alyssa was just sharing about is a beautiful picture of that. And when you get a group of people who feel that kind of love displayed to you, demonstrated to them, they lean in and gives you opportunities to declare it as well. So this is what Philip did. He demonstrated it. He declared it. He did it. He demonstrated it by uh, healing people spiritually, healing people physically. And there's one other thing that he did, um, and this could be a whole message, but uh, he he also displayed the gospel uh, by by, um, at least uh, seeking to bridge the gap when it comes to some racial reconciliation. Now, that isn't real clear explicitly in this passage, but actually it's what the whole passage is about. Because if you're familiar with the Bible at all, uh, you'll know that the, the, the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. Um, the, the Jews and the, and the Samaritans, um, I mean, there's, I could go on and on about uh, like crazy stuff that they did to each other. Um, uh, but I don't have time. Uh, but the like, Jews would walk a day out of their way to, to not ever pass through Samaritan because they hate through Samaria because they hated the Samaritans so much. That the Samaritans were uh, in their race half Gentile and half Jew, and and Jews they they wouldn't even wear fabric. They wouldn't even wear clothes that were were woven out of two different materials. And so when it comes to actually uh, befriending people who were of two different races, they wouldn't have anything to do with them. They hated each other. And yet, um, when Philip is run out of Jerusalem, he runs to Samaria, and he comes preaching good news. Why did he go there? Dr. Martin Luther King, one of his, my favorite quotes by him says, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And as Philip had experienced the love of God in the gospel, he had personally believed the good news. And it had brought him great joy. And he had understood that he needed a savior and that Jesus was his savior. And he had also understood that, he, that Jesus wasn't just his savior or his people's savior, but he was the savior of the world. And so that meant that one, just like, just like him, everyone else needed a savior. And just like him, Jesus loved all of them enough to die for them. And then it dawns on him. 
this love that transformed him. He says, like, I got to bring this good news to my enemies. I got to bring this good news to the Samaritans. And so transformed by Jesus' love for him, he goes and brings good news to this city. And they hear it, and they see him demonstrating it just by his very presence there, but also by healing people. And it's great. It brings great joy to that city. Guys, oh, we get to be the bearers of good news. We get to, you get to, everyone who, who's heard the good news and has received it gets to be someone that God entrusts that good news to that gets to go share it with and knowing that it can bring great joy to those who hear it. We get, that's a, that is a privileged opportunity. And when we get a chance to partner with God in a way to just declare it, but also to demonstrate it and how we love people and meet needs and seek reconciliation. Yes, reconciliation with your friends, reconciliation with your family, but yes, reconciliation with races. We're partnering with God and giving people a picture of the gospel. And when people get that kind of picture, they lean in, they pay close attention. Because that's good news, and it brings great joy. As I, uh, as I thought I would, I, I, I got carried away, and I I'm, I'm just can't get to the rest of this passage. Uh, and so I'm not going to go into that. But um, if you want to talk about it later, I'll be happy to talk about 9 through 25. Uh, for now, let, let, me, let me just wrap up with this, okay? Um, one of... Uh, One of the things that I want to just remind you, friends, it's like when it comes to talking about Jesus with people, sometimes that feels like a burden to us. It feels like something we have to do, that we're supposed to do, but we don't do, or we don't do as much as we feel like we ought to. I just want to remind you, like... Those words are not coming from God. Like, you don't have to share the gospel with people in order to be saved. You know that, right? You don't have to share the gospel with people in order for you to measure up. Like, that's why Jesus came. That's why this is such good news. Jesus came and he measured up on our behalf so that because of him, his righteous life, we, when we turn to him, are declared or counted righteous in Christ, that we get his perfect resume. He takes our resume that falls so short, and that's what he died for. So you don't have to do this because you have to. You don't, you don't need to share the gospel because you have to. What moves us to share the gospel, friends, is when the gospel really is good news to you. And the better news that the gospel is for you, the more you're going to want to share it for others because it, to others because it causes great joy. If you go back to the opening story when Krista and I found out she was pregnant with camp, we... Uh, we, we were, I mean, we were just in this daze, and we're so excited, and we're trying to figure out, like, she's dropping off the airport, and we, one of the last things we say is, like, hey, we can't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody for this week while I'm gone. And the reason why was because, you know what, you know what is a ton of fun? Telling people good news. And we wanted to do that together. 
And so whenever I landed in Austin and, and called her, one of the first questions I asked her was, uh, are, you, are you actually pregnant? <laughs> or did I just dream all of that? <laughs> she said, no, I'm still pregnant. Okay, who did you tell? And she, I think she had told her parents. That's okay. But then we're like, well, let's go start telling people together because that's fun. Good news brings great joy, but also telling people good news brings great joy. You guys, God wants this for us. He's entrusted this to us, this joy. We get to be these people. He's entrusted the gospel to us. We get to be the people who bring good news that causes great joy. Let's go bring great joy to our city by how we demonstrate it and by how we declare it for his glory and their good. Hey, uh, like I said, the thing that will really help move us this way is when the good news of the gospel comes home to our own hearts. And so we're going to end the message by taking communion. Because when we take communion, we come to the Lord's table. This is a time for us to actually like, like sit and reflect on that this is true. That God so loved the world that he really did send his son. That Jesus demonstrated God's love for us. That while we're still sinners, Christ did die for us. That he had willingly his body broken for us. His blood spilled out for us that we could be reconciled to God. Though we don't measure up, he's covered our sins. And that we are restored to God, not on the basis of what we do, but what he has done for us. And so sit and reflect in that until it stirs up some joy in your heart. And then let's sing. Let's make a joyful noise to God. And then let's leave this morning and and scatter as a church wherever God takes us as good news bearers and see if we can bring by God's power and with him great joy to our city. Communion tables are up here and in the back. Anyone who's placed their faith in Christ is welcome to come take communion. If you never have, I pray that you would even do that right now. You could tell God, I believe, and experience that joy. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And we love you because you first loved us when we did not deserve your love. And then you sent Christ to die in our place, to rise again, to make the way for us to be reconciled to you through faith. And God, we, we ask that even now you would bring that home to our hearts again, remind us, refresh us on just what incredibly good news that is. And Lord, that it would fill us with joy, that we would glorify you and then we would join you in bringing that good news to our city. That we want Austin, Texas to be filled with joy. And God, we know that you want that too. God, would you, would you be honored in how we partner with you in that? And we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.